0: netcasts you love
1: from people you trust
0: this is twit audio bandwidth for security now is provided by winamp subscribe to security now and all your favorite podcasts with the ultimate media player Download it for free at winamp.com. Video bandwidth for Security Now is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 262, recorded August 18, 2010. Strict Transport Security. Security Now is brought to you by Carbonite. Backing up files on your PC or Mac is safe and easy with Carbonite. For a free trial plus two free months of purchase, go to Carbonite.com. Offer code security now. It's time for Security Now, ladies and gentlemen. Fasten your seatbelts. We're about to find out what's wrong on the internet this week. Steve Gibson is here, our security guru from GRC.com. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Leo. It's How great to be with you again, as always. Well, thank you. Uh, we have an interesting topic for the day today, which I don't really even understand. So I'm going to let you describe what strict transport security is.
1: STS. Yes, it's a it's an emerging, rapidly emerging standard and solution for web browsing, which oh. uh, is really very exciting. And you're going to be an expert about it, as will all of our listeners about an hour from now.
0: So this is S- to replace SLS or um,
1: um, SSL? What it, it, what, what it does is it, in a in a very useful way, it enforces the use of SSL, you know, also known as TLS, you know, basically mm-hmm. secure socket layer. It enforces its use on websites and mm-hmm. and specifically it'll and this is what's so very cool about it is for for so-called user agents which is what we call browsers for browsers which support it and already Chrome does and Firefox 4 will and NoScript has for a while so it's already deployed essentially for probably the the majority of our listeners for websites which support it, it allows the website to say we're serious about security to the browser so only connect to us using SSL connections, using oh, secure connections. If only everybody would do that. Well, we're on the way there and what? so I'm going to talk about the, the, the recent history of this and exactly how it works, what the problems are which are many if this isn't in place and what I love about this is I mean it's happening now um, I just checked my strict transport security tag from PayPal PayPal's probably one of the very first adopters and they have it set not to expire for 40 years so it's like that's a long time <laughs> so my browser will not will not generate an unsecure connection to PayPal No matter what I do, it will not let me click past a security certificate warning. It strengthens the whole channel in a a really substantial fashion. And so I knew that our listeners would be saying, hey, we have that. We didn't know we had that. Very, very interesting. we'll we have it a little bit, and we're going to be getting it, I think, a lot very soon. Well, good. We're going to get to that in just a
0: second. We also have, as usual, security updates. But before we go too much farther, I should say happy anniversary. We're, Are we, we now finally on our sixth year? <laughs>
1: ah, yes, this is episode <laughs> one of year six. And the controversy over that has subsided. Thank God.
0: Yeah. Okay, good.
1: Oh, well, we're happy into year six. Yes, yes, indeed. Thank you. So uh, let's get the security updates. Well, we didn't have very much because, of course, we had the Grand Mall update week last week. Um, right. Apple has updated their iOS. We were talking last week about... Uh, you could jailbreak your phone just by going to a website which gave you a PDF because there was a font parsing vulnerability in Apple's own PDF parsing. Some people erroneously just assumed it was Adobe's problem, but it, it wasn't, never was. I mean, everything else is, but not in this, in this case, not that. Um, so that's been fixed. Um, the concern was that not only did it make the um, iPod... Uh, the iPhone and ipads easily jail jailbreakable but more more much more of a concern is that you know all kinds of other mayhem was no doubt going to follow quickly so Apple jumped on it it was an easy thing to fix and they and they pushed that out and then the only other update we have is just a little notice about opera that went from ten point six zero to ten point six one they had a a bad vulnerability, a heap overflow flaw in um, their HTML5 rendering, which could be used to inject code into unprotected systems. So as soon as they learned about that, they fixed it. And at the time, they also fixed a number of other little stability things and UI problems. So that's the extent of our updates for the week. Wow, that's
0: nice. Uh, We also have, I guess, a, a little security
1: news before we get to our first commercial of the day. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, uh, as expected, India has said to Blackberry's uh, no. creators, Rim, that they are okay. insisting upon having access to Blackberry's communications channels. Mm. Um, they were they were rumbling about it. We talked about it last week. Then they gave Rim a deadline of August thirty first, which is actually much less time than than the Saudis gave Rim. Um, you know, and RIM, of course, did agree to put three servers, um, uh, in Saudi Arabia in order to solve that problem. I imagine something similar is going to happen. Basically, you know, the, the, it's clear that, that RIM doesn't have much choice. If, if countries are saying we're going to block your communications unless you give us the ability to eavesdrop on those communications, and then what are you going to do? And interestingly, uh, India, the the guy in charge of these things said publicly in a conference about a month ago that he was uh, thinking of telling Google and Skype something similar. <laughs> so it's like okay. Yeah. Um, I, now, look- is this is this a legitimate um,
0: thing or is it really that they want to spy on their their
1: Oh it's it's I mean no one's even making any Bones about, it. Uh, bones about the fact yeah. that this is specifically you know th- they couch it in anti-terrorism terms right. and you know terrorism is a problem for us all now and presumably they would wrap that in you know requiring the equivalent that we have in the US of of um getting a court order in order to in order to get access to that kind of communications you would hope that it would be protected and it wouldn't be abused and so forth but you know so so that's so that's where we are it's i I was just going to say that it's better to have encryption providing those sorts of protections on the other hand it's the 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 problem was the blackberry technology is so good so state-of-the-art that it was unbreakable. And <laughs> I mean, even RIM, RIM says we can't, right. we can't eavesdrop on these messages. You know, we designed it so that it's end-to-end secure. So, so now they're saying, okay, well, well, we'll crack this for you in order to make eavesdropping possible. So one just hopes it gets wrapped in. Sad. in it is. It's a, well, but see, this is an, a, probably an inevitable consequence of crypto being so good. I mean, it is unbreakable when it's done right. Mm-hmm. And and RIM really did it right. And as soon as governments say, wait a minute, wait a minute, it's unbreakable. We have to be able to break it. Right. It's like, well, no, unbreakable means unbreakable by anybody. Oh, well, that's unacceptable. Break it. <laughs> so it reminds going-
0: me, really reminds me of uh, the early discussions about whether there was a backdoor. Remember, uh, there was going to be briefly Al Gore suggested... Um, a encryption technology, what was it called, that had a back door, basically. Mm, I know it, the one you're thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe it wasn't uh, Al Gore. Al Gore was suggesting
1: the Clipper chip. That's it. Yep. Was it the Clipper, Clipper chip? Yeah. Well, the Clipper is the name I was trying to remember. Yeah. So.
0: And there was a, and you know, we the bad guys, the good guys, I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> would have well, access to your and, then, stuff. and then there's key <laughs> escrow, which is the other approach as well. Well, okay, you you know oh, you can have the right. crypto, but you got to put your the, the the keys in an escrow somewhere, right. uh, so that under certain circumstances, you know, we can pull them out of escrow and decrypt stuff. Rumble, like, oh. rumble, rumble. So yeah, so, yeah. Um, the press is reporting, although I'm kind of curious about this. They're saying that it's that the first smartphone trojan has been detected. But my sense is there've been things like this, like back in the Palm Pilot days. I mean like in the in the Palm Trio days, where there were uh, oh, yeah. so, you know, software would sneak in. To say the do- first
0: is is kind of absurd.
1: Yeah, I think that's the case too. That's what they're saying. But it is the case that something that has been named Trojan SMS which I think is a little bit too broad. Unfortunately, that name. You now, now we've used that one. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to what they're going to do from there. But um, there, ha, there was a Trojan detected for Android, which was making premium rate SMS message calls right. without the user's knowledge or consent behind their back, thus essentially transferring money out of the users account into the attacker's account. Mm. So that's been found and stopped and you know the in the in the various commentary that I was looking at it was what we talked about last week the essentially users are going to have to take more responsibility for the permissions that they give applications if an application isn't clearly about sending sms messages out Then when you install it and you get a dialogue that pops up enforced by the operating system that says the application wants the following permissions, well, you really take a look at those and decide if you want to give it those permissions, you know, and if a screensaver wants to do SMS messaging, you need to say, uh, that doesn't sound like something the screensaver ought to need to do. We've talked about that a little bit on this week in uh, Google, and it's really a a tough
0: point because most people aren't going to be reading all these things and... I would like to see a firewall on the phones where it says, hey, this app, you know, kind of like on a, on, a, on a computer, this application is trying to access this resource. You want to permit it to do so from now on, block it for today, block it forever.
1: What do you want to do? Right. Very well, very much like exactly, as you said, a personal firewall on a PC, mm-hmm. the more the more, you know, granular controlling firewalls that many people still prefer today, even though arguably Windows has firewalls built in for doing, for doing income, and even the newer versions of Windows provide you with some outgoing, uh, outbound support. Right. So, right. Yeah, that's that's what we need.
0: And the problem, of course, is these are very constrained environments, constrained resources, and so I don't know, you know, if they want things running in the background, doing that. What do they want? I think
1: for? I think the problem is more the user, Leo, because yeah. most people, again, they're just going to glaze over when right. they see these things coming up. And wait, do you want wait, your phone to be to bugging you? On- yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting question. But we're going to have a problem. I think we can, I mean, I, I don't I don't intend to turn this podcast into the smartphone security problem. It's going to
0: happen, I think. It's
1: going to happen. Yeah, eventually. You're going to be spending more and more time talking about, I mean, this is the, the, the smartphone that is, you know, is a computer with communications people want to just download apps i mean you know the apple apple brags about how many hundreds of thousands of apps there are there's an app for that is is now passed into <laughs> the the, the right. common jargon of our society right. and so the problem is security and so it's going to we're going to see serious up you know security threats in the future everyone who follows this stuff knows that right Uh, You want to do a Spinrite, and then I'll do the Carbonite commercial. I have a nice, neat uh, uh, testimonial from someone who took a different approach to running Spinrite than we've ever discussed before. So I thought that was fun. He called it the Spinrite on and off testimonial. (laughs) He said, Steve, before I left, and this is from Ryan Wright. Um, Before I left, I worked for a St. Louis school Providing network and system support. I inherited a Windows 2000 Exchange server with no RAID array and unreliable backups. And the computer was stored in the same room as all the large electrical equipment servicing the entire complex. Before I had the chance to get things under control and comfortable with the reliability, the worst happened. One evening, I got a call that no one could access their email. I tried to log in remotely to the server. No luck. I drove to the school and found the server displaying all sorts of error messages about files being inaccessible, inaccessible and services failing. Mm. As I tried to investigate, the computer froze up on me. Upon forcing a reboot, I got the dreaded message telling me no operating system was installed. I immediately jumped out of my chair grabbed another computer, and purchased a site license for Spinrite. I burned a CD disk and started it going on the server. It found errors very quickly and began their recovery. I've heard many stories of SpinWrite taking quite some time to finish. So I was worried that since the next day was a school day, if Spinrite wasn't finished or if this didn't work, no students, teachers, or staff would be able to log into their computers on the domain. As I said, I inherited a much less than desirable setup. So, I got up early the next morning and arrived before most everyone else. Spinrite was still chugging away, fixing errors, but only 12% through the large drive. I decided to try my luck, quit out of Spinrite, and rebooted the server. It booted. But during the startup sequence, Uh, Windows noted several problems uh, causing various services to fail on startup. Clearly, we weren't out of the woods yet, but the server ran well enough for all the functions the school needed most. uh, And we passed the day without anyone else even noticing. That evening, I booted into Spinrite again and started it up where it left off. The morning, you know, that that morning. Then he says, the next morning, I noted the position and stopped it again. This start and stop process went on for four days before Spinrite completely repaired the drive. I have since improved many things in this setup, but because of Spinrite, we averted catastrophe and even averted inconveniencing all the computer users school-wide. Thanks for such a great product and especially for building in the features to stop and resume Spinrite partway through its operation. You saved a whole school. Wow. And that's something we've we've never talked about was um, Spinrite, when you interrupt it, it gives you the percentage it's complete to four decimal points. (laughs) (laughs) Because we can. Because we can. Well, and because on a large drive, you know, those those decim- you know fractions of a percentage represent large p- chunks of data and so the way i designed spinright when you interrupt it if you if you tell it you want to quit it'll say wait a minute and it ma- makes a point of reminding you to note where this is in case you want to resume and then i was very careful with the math such that i'm rounding in the right directions so that if you then resume spin right and tell it where you want to pick up from it makes sure that there's a little bit of overlap between the number it gave you when it stopped and the number it uses when it starts again so that there's no gap that you miss that is it starts you know round rounds backwards to where it starts from but that does that does just as as Ryan used it it allows you to take what would otherwise be you know a multi night Or perhaps a multi-day run when you can't afford to have spinrite tying up your drive and and do it in multiple pieces. So it ends up being very effective. Such a good idea.
0: Hey, before we get to our topic at hand, strict transport security or protecting how to protect yourself uh, using SSL, I guess would be a subtitle, right? Or a better way to do SSL
1: or something. Future, the the future. future of SSL.
0: I like that. Let me talk about backing up. You know, I was just checking. It's so funny. Uh, I love I love remote control stuff. And um, I was just checking. I put Carbonite on Abby's computer. You know, she's off to college. She brought a laptop, a uh, Mac laptop, but it works on Mac and Windows. And, of course, before she went, I, I put Carbonite on it so that it would automatically, whenever she's online, whether she's at a, her in her uh, dorm room or at a cafe or wherever, she, you know, the computer's online, it automatically just, you know, says, okay, I'm going to back up some stuff when you're not using me. And it keeps all of her stuff backed up. And so I was looking at it. Now, this is one of the beauties of Carbonite is you can log into your Carbonite account anywhere and see that the stuff's backed up. You could even restore a file individually or whatever. So if, for instance, her laptop gets stolen, which I'm sad to say happens often in college, uh, she doesn't have to get the laptop back to get her files back. If she's working on a paper, she can go to the library, get online, download, and print the paper from any computer she can log on. So I logged on just to make sure the backup was occurring, and I noticed that I had uh, not backed up her desktop. And, I, re- you know, there's a desktop folder, and I realized you know, I bet she's not going to be storing all her documents where I would put them in the documents folder. She's going to be a bunch of icons on the desktop. So I just sent her a note and said, Abby, um, uh, could you go into your Carbonite preferences and just add the desktop folder? Because I'm thinking that's probably where all the stuff you're working on today is. And that's what you have that you want to have backed up. That's the beauty of Carbonite. Carbonite is backup done right. I'll tell you, it's just peace of mind for anybody who wants to make sure they back up it uses SSL so even if she's at an internet cafe that backup is private you can encrypt I'm pretty sure it's AES 256 bit encryption but somebody told me it's a it's a triple DES or Blowfish. I'm pretty sure it's AES but anyway it's strong encryption uh, you own the password. Nobody else does. So it's a good way to protect your privacy. It does it onto their servers, kind of always automatically in the background. So you're kind of always backed up. You don't have to remember to back up. And off-site is so important. If you're not backing up off-site, you're really at great risk. Hard drives die. Viruses del- or users accidentally delete their files. We lose data. That's why you got to use Carbonite. Try it free for 15 days just to get a sense of what it can do for you. If you uh, go to Carbonite.com... Use the offer code security now, 15 days free, no credit card or anything, so there's no obligation. And then if you decide to buy, you get two months free with the code security now. Uh, it's 15 cents a day, 55 bucks, actually a little less than 55 bucks a year. It's very affordable, and I tell you, it's worth it for the peace of mind. I just know for, you know, what is that, uh, 55 bucks, it's, I don't know, it's, it's like, i don't know five bucks a month what is it it's less than five bucks a month, less than five bucks I'm, a I'm, month I'm backing yeah. up all the time carbonite.com give it a try today. offer code security now it's just really it's a nice feeling because i know i'm going to get that call and i I just
1: it was like it was after afterwards i thought i bet she's saving everything on the desktop <laughs> well given the way my desktop looks leo it is it is a messy place so, if so yes. you got to
0: back that up too you know yep, I, was just, I was backing
1: right. up pictures music documents
0: you know, where you think the data would go. But, of mm-hmm. course, the desktop toy. All right. And, by the way, somebody asked in the chat room, does Carbonite back up its backups? Yes, it does. It's a, it's a very well-designed network operations center where they back up their backups. Yes, probably many, many times. In fact, if you're on Windows, you can go back versions. I think um, it rolls back three months' worth of versions, something like that. So let's talk about STS. I've seen that setting sometimes when I confirm um, uh, mail settings and th- things like that. I've seen STS. Is it implemented now? Is it out there now?
1: I think you must be thinking of something else. You're, oh, means, you're thinking of T of... Um, well, TLS, I a, see. Of Start TLS. Oh, which that's a, what I'm thinking of. You're and right. And that, that's an email setting. It's a way of allowing a, a POP, an SMTP yes. client to initially connect in, w- without SSL and then to negotiate bringing up an SSL tunnel to protect your, your email yes. on the fly. So yes, it's a
0: form of, of authentication. Yep, yeah. Right.
1: Yep. So, okay, here's the problem. Um, the nature of the, the browser-server relationship is transactional. Uh, we've talked before. The browser makes a query... To a remote server, the server returns its response. That's where the web began. Today, twenty years later, that's where it still is. Um, that's the way HTTP, the Hypertext Transfer Protocol, functions. Whether it's secure or not—that is, wh- whether those those they, the query and the reply are wrapped in an SSL encrypted tunnel or not—the the browser. is is, is this query response relationship, has a query response relationship with the server. Well, that creates a bunch of problems when we want to move beyond passive browsing the net, which we did, you know, in 1980-something, into this Web 2.0 world where we want, essentially, applications running over the net, where we want a... To, to have a secure relationship with the server at the other end. And so, you know, there are much more secure ways, fundamentally more secure ways to do this. For example, you know, um, SSH tunneling, where you, you create a connection, you authenticate, and that connection stays up, it stays persistent... And so, you're, everything that you are doing is inherently secure through you know through that connection. You you can't in that situation you know drop the connection, reconnect, and just say, "Oh, it's it's me again." Don't worry about it. You know, I mean, the 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 technology there is 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 such that it says, "Wait a minute, you have to reauthenticate if you are going to reconnect." Not so with HTTP. Not so. With web browsers and web servers, so that, that just isn't the way they've ever worked. So the problem is, over time, we've we keep burdening this model of query and response with things it was never intended to do. For example, it was never intended to send data back to the server. So how do we solve that? Well, we add stuff to the end of the URL, or we we add we have like a, a a blank line after the query headers and in in the case of a post and we add data there in order to sort of sneak it back into the server overloading the original concept of of how the web works similarly when when we wanted to have a persistent logon relationship with a remote server the architect said, well, how do we do that? Because individual pages that a user goes to are separate connections, queries, responses, and then end of connection. So we know that the way this was then created was this notion of cookies. Cookies are these, are these tokens which the server gives the browser, which the browser holds... And in subsequent queries, it sends the cookie back sort of to re-identify itself from one query to the next. And that, that, you know, the good news of cookies is that allows us to, even though we don't have a stateful connection, that is, this is called a a stateless relationship with the server because each query and response stands alone – as we do things with a website, we're we're reminding the server with each query by giving it the cookie back that it gave us. Oh, this is us making this query. This is us again making this query. Oh, and here we are again. And so the server is able to sort of track us among all the tens of thousands of people that may be simultaneously using a busy server. These individual queries come in, each with a cookie that helps disambiguate all these connections. Basically, they're all coming in on the same port. They're coming from different IPs, but you might have three or four people in a household all using a, a, a NAT router, so their IP is all the same, their public IP is all coming out, but their browsers would have different cookies, so the server, even though even though they're coming in overall port 80 or 443 if it's secure even though they're all appearing to come from the same IP address, their browsers will have different cookies that allows the server to know who they are. Well, that was fine until bad guys got into the act. And the problem is that even sites which do allow you to set up a secure logon and Google Google, has historically been a classic example of this. You know, we've and we've talked about this in several contexts. Google will take you to a secure logon to ask for your credentials. It then gives you back a cookie which which identifies you just as I was saying in subsequent queries to to like Gmail, for example. And then it drops you back out of security it drops you back to an HTTP URL. Now, the problem is this credential which you were handed is now being sent to Google as you mess around with Gmail in the clear. That is non-encrypted. And, and a passive eavesdropper, somebody you know snooping at Starbucks over a non- or any... Why I don't mean to pick on Starbucks, but you know <laughs> they're they're very well known. They do not have encrypted connections. It's open Wi-Fi. So a passive eavesdropper can simply be sniffing traffic, and they will see your this cookie going in along with your queries to Gmail. Well, nothing prevents them from grabbing that cookie. And impersonating you. Literally, your the your logonness is that cookie. That's this magic token that says, I'm still me. I'm giving you back this little gizmo that you gave me before to just so so, so you're able to track me, you're saying to the remote server. The problem is this is fundamentally insecure. I mean it it's frightening. So a couple of security researchers at at Stanford um, at Stanford University in the Web Security Group saw a demonstration of this back in '07 at a security conference, where where it was made very apparent that the fact that these logon relationships with remote servers were being maintained with insecure cookies. Um, it, it made it so clear to them, they thought, okay, well, you know, this is a serious problem that, that needs to be solved. Um, there are other problems because, for example, cookies can be marked as as secure. You, you're able to say the, the, the remote server during a secure transaction is able to hand the browser a cookie with a secure tag on it, which says never send this cookie unless we have an SSL connection. And so the, so the browser is able to protect this, this credential that you've been given by the server in the form of this secure cookie so that it will not disclose it unless you have a secure connection. Now there's, it, it turns out though, some problems even doing that. Because we know that users click through warnings that their browser gives them. Um, oh yeah, we, we, yeah, I mean, <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, now, and, and sometimes you want that. For example, there are there are sites that use a self-signed certificate. they're, they're, they're typically, you know maybe non- high value non-commercial sites. They want to provide encryption. But they they don't want to go pay Verisign or anybody else hundreds of dollars a year for a certificate, and it's hard to blame them. You know, they may be old curmudgeons who just figure they I'm not giving my money to the man, so they <laughs> haven't they have an SSL certificate. They've then they've, they've signed it themselves, so it's it's valid, but. It isn't anchored by a certificate authority that the that the user's browser trusts. Consequently, when you go to one of those sites, all browsers will pop up a warning saying, "Hey, um, this certificate was signed by somebody we don't know." You know, well, yeah, it was signed by the guy who owns the website, probably, rather than by. VeriSign, who, you know, who would have loved to have a few hundred dollars for the privilege of signing that certificate. So, so, so the browser pops up a warning, warning, you know, this certificate isn't, is not something we can verify. It hasn't been signed by a certificate authority. Users will go look at that. And, you know, this thing's in their way. There's a warning and it's, it's like, (laughs) I want (laughs) to, I want to go to this website, click here to ignore this warning and proceed which is everyone does. Um, And in fact, I had this, our listeners may remember that I was a little embarrassed when GRC's main security, you know, www.grc.com, my own security certificate expired without me being aware of it. What, maybe it was about six months ago. Um, We still had Spinrite sales. People were still buying Spinrite. The only way... I mean, the only way they could have been buying SpinRight is they got a warning that said this certificate has expired. What do you want to do about that? And they just now, ignored it. Yep. they ignored it. Now maybe they were, they were like me. If I saw one of that the, 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 that happened, for example, I would look at it and go, "Oh, it expired," you know, two hours ago, or it expired yesterday. So I could sort of like forgive the webmaster. In fact, e- even even twitter's security certificate expired That's right. a couple weeks That's right. ago I noticed
0: it on tweetdeck it kept complaining
1: there's no certificate
0: there's no certificate
1: yeah so i mean it it can it, it happens to the best of us but the point is users have been trained if something comes up and says you can't have what you want just press the button that gets you what you want and get that annoying interruption out of the way well the problem with having been trained that way is that a completely possible man-in-the-middle attack, which is, could, could happen at any moment, is that somebody at Starbucks um, does an ARP spoofing attack, which is trivial on open Wi-Fi. That is to say, si- simply sends a broadcast out and, and gets the other, the other people at an open Wi-Fi hotspot to treat their computer as the gateway. So that now the traffic runs through that computer. When, when the bad guy sees a connection being made to PayPal or Bank of America or whatever, they return a on the spot a self-signed certificate. That is, it's possible instantly to generate a certificate for anyone and just to have the certificate self-signed. Oh, so that pops up the warning... ...that the user kind of looks at briefly and they've been trained, unfortunately, to just say, okay, fine, whatever, I need to do my business. So they click okay. Well, what they have just done is authorized illegitimate um, security credentials for the attacker... ...so that the attacker can now is now the terminus of their SSL connection... And the attacker can simply filter everything they do over SSL because they're actually connecting to the attacker's computer, not to the remote PayPal or Bank of America or whatever, where they believed that they were going. And they've just, you know, now they have this problem that that they're being eavesdropped, even though they see that, you know, they've got an SSL connection. So, So there's an example of... The, uh, another way in which the, this current security model we have, unfortunately, with users participating, really is broken. So how do we fix this? Well, the good news is people who really understand that, you know, like the, the, the reality of the way people are using s- secure connections on the web got together and they have they have made an incremental change, an incremental improvement to the HTTP protocol, which is in the process of being supported, and I'm very excited about it. Um, As I mentioned at the top of the show, this so-called STS, strict transport security, also known as sometimes as HSTS, because of HTTP. So HTTP STS or just HSTS or STS. um, It support appeared in Chrome with version 4.211. So it's been in there for a while. Um, it's been in NoScript, you know, Giorgio's famous add on for Firefox since 1.9.8.9. And we now know that NoScript went to 2.0 a while ago. And that was like last September. Is of, of September of 2009 is when he added it to NoScript, so quite a while. Um, and it will be natively supported in Firefox version 4, which we now know is at, at least at beta 3, last time I looked, and is moving along quickly. It is entirely foreseeable that it will be supported in every browser shortly, because one of the things I like about it is it doesn't require any sort of major revamping—it's it, it's simple for for browsers to to support. So, here's what it does: when a secure connection is made to a server, which is to a site that is serious about security—that I mean, that really wants. Security to be paramount, like PayPal. I use PayPal actually because an engineer, a security person at PayPal, I think is Jeff Hodges, is, is has been one of the driving forces behind this. Um, the when you have an, an SSL connection made, the that site is able to provide with its response in response to a query because web is the, the HTTP protocol is all as I was saying query and response when the response comes back there is an additional response header added to the reply now the response headers are things like this is is th- this expires for so long the co- the following content has the following length um, uh, you know there's like a number of so-called metadata not really part of the page you're viewing but but sort of a preamble to that, which your which the server and the browser transact, a new header is added that is strict-hyphen-transport-hyphen-security-colon, and then a max-age equals and some number of seconds, and then optionally you can also you can tag onto that that you want to include subdomains of the of of the domain where this this header was provided when a when an sts aware browser receives that header in a response over a secure connection that is that information is cached permanently by the browser so it remembers for example in the case of paypal paypal sends back when when you go to www.paypal.com over secure connection, it sends this header back, and I was poking around looking at it this morning. Sure enough, back come these secure, um, or I'm sorry, strict transport security headers from PayPal. The a an STS aware browser, which are beginning to emerge, stores this on the hard drive along with the length of time it is to live, and it will then never again, make an insecure connection to that domain. Not only that, it regards any certificate, any SSL problem as fatal. It will not allow you to click around it. It will not allow you to accept a self-signed certificate from that domain. It will not allow you to make a connection even if the certificate is expired. So it certainly requires diligence on the part of the of the web server which is serving these certificates but in 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 return for that essentially it's a way for a a website to specify to all web browsers that are aware of this header that the website's policy is absolutely no exceptions to using SSL connections. So what, what that means is that any time you attempt to make a non-SSL connection, that, that site will redirect the browser to an SSL version of the page. So when the browser then comes back with an SSL query, it's, it gives it this strict transport security header informing the browser never again make an insecure connection to this domain. And what happens is on the browser side, not only is the browser then told that there will be no exceptions, make no exceptions for certificate errors, but also transparently convert any non HTTPS accesses to HTTPS. So, so for example, if the user put in just www.paypal.com or even HTTPS, I'm sorry, HTTP colon slash slash paypal.com, if there is a strict transport security token that has been received previously, the browser has permission to ignore that non-secure query request from the user and to transparently make it secure. Now, that, there, there are some implications of this. One is that a site needs to be accessible. That is, all the resources that the site is offering, all the GIFs and JPEGs and, and widgets and, and other things that are coming from that domain have to be available over SSL. So, for example... Oh, so if you, you have, use a, an image server,
0: so you might not have an SSL image server.
1: Very good point. If, if you didn't have an SSL Im, image server, then you would, you'd need to provide a certificate for that right. if that image server was a subdomain, for example, images.paypal.com, or, in fact, P- uh, PayPal has something called PayPal Gadgets, I think is is the domain, where a lot of their stuff comes from. Right. There has been a, a, an attempt at sort of things like this the EFF the Electronic Frontier Foundation in conjunction with the Tor project that we've talked about the onion router project they have created a Firefox extension called HTTPS everywhere um and and it's instructive that that many sites fight against this many sites don't have you know just just can't be sort of like have every query turned into a secure query. And so what they've had to do, what the EFF has had to do with this HTTPS Everywhere extension is they've had to sort of craft a set of rules per site in order to to figure out how to make the site operate as securely as possible. So, for example, I just looked at their page this morning. They have managed to support... Google search, Wikipedia, Twitter, Facebook, most of Amazon, they say, meaning some parts of Amazon cannot be made to be secure. So their, their, their rule set has to be smart enough to know what to exclude. They support uh, something called GMX, WordPress.com blogs, the New York Times, the Washington Post, PayPal, their own site, the EFF site. Tor and LX Quick are the domains that they have supported currently. They have a they have an open protocol that allows users to add support for additional sites. And so now that that's an example of both an early attempt at doing this, recognizing the value of that, but also demonstrating the problems of doing so. What I, what I like so much about Strict Transport Security is that it's it's transparent to the user completely. There is probably not a user interface on the browser because you don't want users to to cavalierly delete these STS tokens which they've received from a site that, that wants them. The one glitch in this is that in order to in order to get one of these STS tokens, which then ramps up the security, it may very well be that there's that first opportunity where you don't have a secure connection. If you first, if you just, you know, most people are just going to go, you know, www.paypal.com or probably just paypal.com, which if they didn't already, their browser hadn't received a strict transport security token in the past, the browser would make an HTTP connection by default. PayPal server would see that and immediately redirect them using a 301 uh, response, telling them that that page has moved permanently to HTTPS colon slash slash. At that point, they would then they would ask for that page, receive that token, and then they would be safe. The problem is that little window of opportunity, that first time they connect, if there was a bad guy. That's their opportunity to 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 get in. Would it be it like a, a
0: man in the middle opportunity, or how would they?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, well, yeah For example, they they could they could um, simply prevent HTTPS from ever coming up, and and fool the user. And in fact, we've talked about this kind of a problem before. Fool the user um, into assuming PayPal is going to be secure. All the bad guy has to do is strip out. HTTPS strip out the S of everything that comes back, and I mean even the even the logon form. They all have to do is strip the S's out of that, and then the logon is not secure because, unfortunately, this uh, as I said, we're we're using it a system that was never really designed to be robust from a security standpoint. And so if they if if the bad guy got a foothold, if they were able to intercept that first query, then they simply filter the response and remove all notion of security from the response. The page looks the same to the user. They log in, and they're logging in over HTTP rather than HTTPS, so the bad guy gets their login credentials. Wow. So... Mm-hmm. But that, we should
0: say, is: don't get scared. That's not
1: easy to do. No, no, no. That's a non-trivial attack. All you you would have to do is log in once. Just go to PayPal once with HTTPS. PayPal sees that you're secure, and it gives you that strict transport security tag. And then your browser knows always elevate any – I mean, not just for the page, but for all the assets, everything – Anything going to that domain is going to be done over SSL. Now, if you
0: clear your cache, do you have to do it again?
1: I mean, where is it storing that information? Is it a cookie? uh, It's no, it's well, it's funny that there has been some evolution of this over the last couple years. The original proposal by those two guys that I mentioned at Stanford, Colin Jackson and Adam Barth, they presented in Beijing in um, early. 2008. It was April 21st through 25th. Was the the, the big uh, WWW 2008 conference in Beijing? They pre- pre- presented a a paper, and they called it Force HTTPS, where they were proposing that a special cookie could be delivered to the browser, where the browser would modify its behavior in that fashion. Um, and so there there has been evolution through this. Um, The decision was made, though, as this thing, though, I I should mention, this is now a full-on IETF proposal for adoption. Um, It's just happened in the last few months, so it's new, and it's going to no doubt take a while to to happen. But the the spec is solid, and as I mentioned, we're already seeing browsers supporting this. The The feeling was cookies is not where you want to store this because it's too easy for you know. There is a UI that allows people to dis, to delete their cookies. Many people delete their cookies out of habit because they that they because they know that they're tracking tokens. This technology cannot be used to track anyone because there is nothing being sent back from the browser, as is the case for cookies. It is a one-way policy statement from the server to the user saying. We really are serious about security. No exceptions for certificate errors. No exceptions for connections. Only connect to us over SSL and, and never accept, um, you know, like any excuses from, from the security chain. So, for example, in the case of, of NoScript, if, and I did this. If you look under, uh, in the case of Windows, and it's, it's somewhere squirreled away on any platform. In Windows, it's under Documents and Settings, and then the particular user you're logged in as. Then under Application Data, under Mozilla, under Firefox, under Profiles, then there'll be a unique tag .default. And in that directory, you will find a no script STS.db file. And mine had two entries one from that's that secure site we mentioned last week, uh, information.com um, and PayPal. And uh, it was funny because it, 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 it's www.paypal.com, then there's a semicolon in this file, 1282. 142055. That's the number of seconds PayPal would like this <laughs> to be honored. That's 1,282,142,055 <laughs> <laughs> seconds. I'm guessing that's so, the
0: biggest number they can give you.
1: <laughs> I got out my calculator. And I, I got on my calculator. Uh, actually, no, because secure.information.com is one billion four hundred and thirty nine million. So they're just choosing oh, something. Okay. Anyway, so I, I divided it down. It's it's just about exactly forty years worth of seconds. So PayPal is saying, from now, for 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 any time foreseeable. Oh, and. Every time you're using PayPal, it's sending you the same thing. So this is 40 years from the last time you access PayPal, not the first time you access PayPal. So this is a moving 40 years into the future that, th- that my browser, that my, because I have no script, even though I don't yet have Firefox 4, my, my Firefox with no script will absolutely never connect me to PayPal Except over SSL, no excuses, which I think is tremendous security and i, I it's very clear to me that, that this is something that's going to catch fire and and catch on very quickly
0: very interesting
1: so uh, the browsers so currently so support if, it it's something that or do you have to update um no it's 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 um, it's in no script and it's on by default there is you if you had to for some reason to like delete this you could simply edit that .db file in NoScript and and Giorgio who is the father of NoScript talks about that in his blog so you could make a change there you can also def- you could he does allow you to disable it and if you put in about.config into the address bar uh it's noscript.sts.enabled which is normally true You could set it to false in order to turn this off if you had to. But so – and in Chrome, I don't think there's any UI. You're just protected. I mean, and that's – the idea is you don't want users to unintentionally bring this security down. The goal is to – for there to be no downside to it, which would cause a problem for users. So um, cool! So I look forward to
0: this. What it really should, though, is not built be built into a plugin, but be built into all browsers and everything well, and, and it's all a, sites. It's a,
1: plug, it's a plugin only now right. because Firefox four is not out. Right. It is in Firefox four. It is already in Chrome. Oh, well, that's so, neat. Go- so Google's Chrome browser has it already and is obeying it. And we we users of NoScript, we have the benefit of it now since last September when Giorgio put it in. And um, clearly I have not been to a lot of sites that support it or my little NoScript sts.db file would have a much longer list of domains. It only had two. PayPal is there, but PayPal is one of the early promoters of this. I think as the word spreads. Now the fact that the fact that EFF, for example, could not get all of Amazon to be secure, it means that Amazon has some work to do in order to get the rest of their assets able to be served over SSL. And when they do that, it would certainly be in their best interest to add this policy to their outbound you headers bet. Bet. and suddenly browsers are going to... Uh, browsers. Emerging browsers will be supporting this. Is the
0: primary reason that it's people don't do it? Something like Amazon doesn't, doesn't do it is because some of their assets come from non-SSL browsers.
1: Um,
0: well, non-SSL server servers. servers I mean, not browsers. Servers like it's mixed. They have mixed servers,
1: and some can't handle it. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is that, for example, it, it, I learned while I was researching this something that I didn't realize, and that is that that um, uh, CSS Files which provide formatting for web pages and Shockwave Flash files are are not the 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 um the security of them is not enforced. Such that if you serve an unsecure Shockwave Flash or CSS file on a secure page, the user is not notified of mixed content. Mm. Which is interesting because it must have been that there was – the problem was that people were were wanting to embed shockwave flash things, probably ads that were shockwave flash, and they were not coming over secure connections. And so too many errors were being generated right, by browsers. Right. And so unfortunately the browsers backed off and decided, oh, well, we'll make an exception to our mixed content warning because otherwise people are going to be getting these things all over the place. Right, right. So, so yeah, so the, so the problem is that, that sites are sometimes deliberately mixing content, but also one of, and, and this is in the spec, one of the things that the spec writers for this recognize is sometimes webmasters, web designers mess up. A web designer, you know, a web can have its entire um surface served over ssl all it takes is one little mistake somewhere for example one mistake somewhere on on the on a large site like paypal making a page insecure would allow an attacker to gain a foothold because that would allow them to run a script on to inject a script onto that page and then get up to who knows what kind of monkey business right. so one of the other benefits of the strict transport security system is it declares the website's intent to be 100% secure. And so it it essentially solves the problem of of mistakes in the delivery of insecure content on that site. No strict transport security token will be obeyed over non-SSL. So... So there, what that does is that prevents a bad guy from, from like setting it to zero seconds of life or one second of life. It prevents that. It also prevents a denial of service attack. Because imagine if the strict transport security tag could be honored over just a regular non-encrypted connection, then a, then a bad guy could add a tag... For a site that doesn't support SSL, the browser would honor it and suddenly switch everything to SSL and refuse to do otherwise, and the user could never get to that site. So this has been carefully thought out so that it simply works in the background. I mean, you know, we, we anyone who's been using PayPal with no script and Chrome or or no, no no script on Firefox or Chrome has already had this protecting them and didn't even know it. It causes no problems. It just really does a beautiful job of enforcing security in a very important way. As I was saying, there are so many ways that HTTP can let us down if, if we're not really, really careful about it. And this thing says, I mean, I, I see this as a, as a major step forward in making security um, really work to a much greater degree than it has before.
0: Uh, and as long as we're talking about browser security, I just want to mention, because I know we're all LastPass fans, and I was uh, logging into LastPass uh, today, and a serious uh, security alert came up from LastPass. If you use Chrome and you use one of the beta uh, versions of Chrome, um, they, Chrome uh, bug 52096 uh, breaks the LastPass hashing
1: code, <laughs> so Ooh.
0: Don't, So you know, I don't use the beta of uh, Chrome, although I have in the past. Uh, there is, if you go, oh, so
1: they've they've got a JavaScript glitch. Yeah. Uh,
0: okay. Yeah. And they even have a um, at Rodan.lastpass.com, uh, which is obviously a LastPass site. He has a demonstration that you can run to see if the Chrome nightly bug will bite you. Uh, it gives you a, P, P, a, uh, a hash, and if you get matching hash codes at the bottom, then you're okay. But if you get a zero in the incorrect result, then you are running a version of a Chrome that will be a security flaw in LastPass. So I don't know. I guess that means that you're hashing. I don't know what is that.
1: I don't know what the impact would be, but what 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 it would mean is that um, as we know, LastPass um uses some technology it, it uses hashes in order to to authenticate its users so they must have in, they, somehow in their add-on or in their um uh, it, it it must be a bug in their add-on uh in in a library that the ad, that the last past add-on is using probably right. you know right. generating SHA-256 because that cause that's what last uses that's the one yep Yep. Um so a but that so Chrome must have introduced a bug in the hashing algorithm such that LastPass's use of it would generate a hash that no longer matches. Remember that what the way LastPass authenticates is that it stores hashes in its server, never the user's password or or anything else, but that allows it to perform one-way authentication. So if suddenly it's getting different hashes from the browser. Even though you've 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 logged in correctly to it on your browser, the LastPass server would say, uh, "No, you, you 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 know you've got the wrong login credentials. Right. Try again." Right. So it's it's not your fault. It's the browser's fault in this case.
0: I do not. I use the release version of Chrome, and it does not affect the release version of Chrome. Just if you're using a nightly build or a beta cool. version, thought I'd pass that along steve a great subject i look forward to sts being available everywhere um for those of us who use chrome we're ready (laughs) firefox 4 you'll be ready soon yep and no and we have no script doing it right now for us that's really awesome really awesome uh if you want to get 16 kilobit versions of this show transcripts show notes the best place to go steve's site grc.com you can watch us do this live on the Twit Network, it's live.twit.tv. We record Security Now at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific every Wednesday. That's 1800 UTC. Again, at live.twit.tv. You can also subscribe to the show, audio and video, at twit.tv/sn. And uh, if you're looking for SpinRight or any of the great free applications that Steve offers, grc.com is the best place to go. Next week, we're going to ask uh, answer questions. So. GRC.com slash feedback will be the place to go if you have a question about this or any of the topics we cover on Security Now. And Steve, I hope you have a great week. And we'll see you
1: next time. Talk to you for episode 263 next week, Leo. Well into our sixth year. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Leo.
0: Security Now.